With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Are you ready? Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. You're a lying dog face pony soldier. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS. Thank you, speakers. Thank you, Friday. Happy Friday. This is First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. And like I always try to do, I want to make sure that if I have a personal bias, I like to call it a dog in the fight, although the animal rights people apparently don't understand what metaphors and parables are all about. But I have a dog in the fight every time I take one of the family's vehicles, one is diesel, the other is gasoline, and pull up to the pumps. I have to pay an extra 50 cents a gallon, maybe even as much as 60 cents a gallon, because of the cockamamie carbon tax that Jay Inslee engineered, made possible, and now wants to deny is affecting the cost of gasoline much at all in Washington State. So I most decidedly have a dog in the fight on this one, and I would imagine that same would be true of Washington State Representative Mary Dye, who represents the Pomeroy area. Representative Dye, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on. And you're right, you know, it's just pennies, but it's a lot of pennies for every single family in the in the state. And we need to do something about it. Yeah, and, and, and we have a plan. Su- you've suggested a bill to send checks to people, but I, I will tell you, ma'am, that, that my first reaction to that is, so the government is going to improperly collect dollars from the people to begin with, and then we're going to turn around and engineer some system for sending back you know, little checks to everybody who buys gasoline or diesel or propane or natural gas in the state. Is that the way it's going to work? Because it it sounds like a system engineered by Rube Goldberg. It is because um, politics in Washington state under the current administration is the art of the possible. And, you know, this was um, a big deal for the governor to get a cap and trade program as aggressive as this one. It's twice as aggressive as the cap and trade program in California. And we actually topped California's um, gas prices last um, a, a couple of months ago. So you know how aggressive this program is. And they have great plans for all of this excess revenue that they're getting. And the only way that we can start by whittling it back is to hold them accountable to the um, price tag that they stated on the bill in the first place and then work from there. 
But uh, but how would this actually work? Let's say they pass the bill, and then and then you're going to send people checks based on what what they tell you about how many miles they drove or how many gallons they bought. How would it actually work in practical terms? Absolutely not. So the way the work the um, the bill works, it's a carbon. Um, a carbon auction or the climate auction relief payment. And so we call it a car payment. And in order to uh, really just address it as quickly as possible, um, in July of 2024, anyone with a registered vehicle in the state of Washington would receive a $100 check to the registered vehicle owner in 2024. So households with more than one registered vehicle would receive an additional $100 checks, but no more than $100 per individual. And then, so if you had three adults, three registered vehicles at that household, their names could receive up to, you know, that would be like $300. But then after that initial, when you go to register your, uh, your to renew your car tabs, then after that, then whatever excess um, uh, revenue is in the account above and beyond what Jay Ensley said he needed to run his um, his uh, cap and trade program with, that those monies would be allocated to the registered vehicle owners in Washington State, and they would receive checks on an annual basis for that excess revenue. So basically, um, it doesn't really account for those of us who drive more or less, but it's just a, no, it a rebate off of your car tab. So it could be potentially $250 a, a, a vehicle, um, $500 a household. It offsets it slight, um, slightly from the um, dramatic impacts that the, the, the cap and trade has caused to families. And, you know, it, it hits those, you know, it's very regressive. And, and I know you've felt that too. Um, yes. you know, when wow. your kids are just getting started, they're, um, paying the gas for their, um, to get to their job and those things. I mean, it takes hours of labor at your first low paying job to pay for a tank of gas to get to the job. And it's very discouraging and it's discouraging to people on, on fixed incomes. It's discouraging to those of us who keep our, our cars and run them until the wheels fall off. And so they're very old and, and they, they eat a lot of gas, you know, that's kind of our farm. So I don't know, Lars, I just, it's well, the best we can do under the circumstance. And then I think this state has to have a conversation about the idea that the governor thinks that everybody should pay their fair share in Washington state for their impact on climate change. And that's well, basically okay, what Mary, policy Mary did. one of the concerns I've got, now we've institutionalized that they're going to get all this stream of money coming in. And once you do that with the government, they tend to never give it up. And then if you institutionalize the idea, everybody gets a $100 check or they get some relief on when they renew their car tabs, then that's in the, in place as well. And, you know, Ronald Reagan warned us a long time ago, once you said there's nothing, the only thing close to everlasting life on planet Earth uh, is is a government program. So once you have the program in place, getting rid of it is going to be very difficult. And and it is kind of a pittance in, in a way because, Mary, I figure, I mean, because I use myself as an example, I drive less than the average drive, drive maybe 10, 12,000 miles a year, sometimes a little more, and uh, and that's going to cost me about 600 gallons. That means I'm paying $300. So the $100 check will be about a third of what I... Now, if anybody out there is an average driver... They may be paying four or five hundred dollars a year and getting a hundred bucks back. 
So, you know, that doesn't sound like a very good deal. And for those who drive for a living, and I mean Uber or they drive, uh, you know, they drive uh, because they're plumbers, electricians and all that, then all those people are going to get stuck. And and does this apply to, uh, you know, commercial vehicles? I mean, if, if somebody runs a little company that's a plumbing company, electrical company, contracting company, will they get refund checks as well for all vehicles? Yes, and I think that you make a very good point about institutionalizing the program. That's one of the problems about reversing the cap-and-trade program is that it's the way it's designed, it integrates into the economy. I call it socializing the yep. cost of carbon dioxide emissions across the entire economy. It, it impacts the energy economy, which is the root of our freedom. It's the root of our society. And they went in and created this program. And it's very hard to unwind it. When I saw the bill in the first place, I just shudder because once the bell has been rung, it's really hard to unring the bell. It's complicated because all of the industries, the energy intensive trade exposed industries will be expected to make massive changes to the way they operate their industries. And you know that our economy is highly productive. All of these are extremely energy intensive and extremely productive per person. And they want us to bear this burden for a global, um, and and, uh, and by the way, it, it's, it. yeah, I don't right. think it's so good. It's not going to change CO2 one whit. That's Mary Dye, who's state representative representing the Pomeroy uh, area, co-sponsor of a new bill to send out checks to people to refund the money they were improperly charged at the gas or diesel pump because of Jay Inslee's climate tax. Back in just a moment. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. He's the best investment in talk radio, and it's free. Lars Larson, you're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's easy. 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Guess if I were to paraphrase Shakespeare, I'd put it this way. 
Would a tax by any other name stink as badly as something that you call something else? Not a tax. Looks like a tax, walks like a tax, quacks like a tax. But if they say it's not a tax, then uh, you'll feel a whole lot better about paying this tax, not a tax. That seems to be the meme that we're getting out of Governor Jay Inslee's office in Olympia because he got a gigantic, massive tax on citizens that, if I'm right, has already collected more than a billion dollars in less than a period of a year. And uh, despite that, they don't want it called a tax. And I thought I'd get Todd Myers on to see if he can straighten this out for us. He's environmental director with the Washington Policy Center. Todd, welcome back. And why is it that Jay Inslee and everybody working in his executive branch of government in Olympia is so anxious not to have the new carbon tax called a tax? Well, because obviously if you call it a tax, then people will realize that they are paying it uh, because everybody knows that a gas tax is simply passed along in the price of gasoline. But uh, if instead of calling it a tax, you call it, as the uh, director of the Department of Ecology did, a ma market-based program that places compliance obligations on regulated businesses, <laughs> then it's so confusing that you hope that people don't realize that the increase in, in the gas prices is um, due to this um, new tax on CO2 emissions, but um, I looked at it and, and looked at both the law and other precedents, and, and it's very clearly a tax. Even you know beyond just the fact that we're paying more at the at the pump. Um, in fact, the General Accounting Office and a variety of others have said exactly this type of thing constitutes a tax. Well, and in fact, that actually raises another objection. Because I guess you could probably describe Washington State sales tax as a market-based program that places compliance yeah. obligations. Because if I walk into a store and I want to buy, let's say, a couch, and I say I want to spend $500, and they say, well, there's a market-based program that places compliance obligations. So if you want that $500 couch, uh, there's about eight. Let's make the math easy for me. There's an 8% tax. You're going to owe us Eight times uh, 500 would be 40. You're going to owe us $40 in, in a compliance fee. And, and I said, well, that sounds like a sales tax. And they'd say, no, it's market-based because if the couch costs $600, then it's more like uh, $48 in, in not taxes but a compliance-based obligation. I mean, they, they really think that people are fooled by this, you know, circumlocution using the language? Well, I think there's a couple of things going on here. First, I think that they are doing everything they can to sort of misdirect and mislead people about what is going on. This is not the only example. Um, we talked earlier about how the State Utilities Commission literally made it illegal for Puget Sound Energy to list the cost of the tax on uh, natural gas for home heating on customers' bills. So this is just one larger part of a strategy. But I also think that this is part of an effort to bully reporters into saying it's not a tax, right? When, when reporters report it as a tax, they get a very furious email from the governor's spokesman or other people saying, this is absolutely not a tax, you need to stop calling it. And they scream at him. And, of course, there is always the implicit threat of that you won't get interviews, that you won't get access, those sorts of things. So I think it is a combination of sort of just simply being misleading and in the, and the hope that if they're really 
you know, loud and threatening about it that they can bully people into stop calling it tax. Well, the other thing that makes it deceptive, Todd, is that if I pull into the gas station, as I do, and I tank up with gas, if the I think the state gas tax is about 40 cents and the federal is about 20 and it adds up to about 60. So just paying attention to the 40 that goes to the state, if I buy a $5 gallon of gas, it has a 40 cent tax on it because it's a tax per gallon, right? But in the case of the carbon taxes, nobody even knows what they're going to be. I mean, Jay Inslee doesn't know because his prediction was, well, you know, the we'll probably be like California. It'll be, what, 25 or $30 a ton on carbon. But it ends up being, what's the current price per ton uh, that they're charging or that, that, that they're getting in the auctions? More like 60 yeah, it's $63 a metric ton, which translates into 50 cents a gallon. Which means that you don't even have any idea what the tax is going to be because the tax isn't based on how much you're buying or how many gallons you're buying or even how many dollars worth of gasoline you're buying. It's based on whatever the people are bidding the carbon at in some auction that you're not invited to. Well, all the auction does is is, is, is like set the tax, set the tax level. So the minute the auction occurs, we know, and that's why I've been able to track it. That's why we know that it's 50 cents a gallon right now. So, it, yes, it's a very convoluted way of setting a tax, but functionally it performs exactly the same as a tax. And the cost right now is extremely high. You said 40 cents a gallon. Washington's gas tax is actually 49.4 cents Okay, a so it's 50 so cents a gallon. Is, yeah. yeah, it is one of the highest in the country, and with a 50 cents per gallon tax on CO2 emissions per gallon, that is almost a dollar a gallon that is going to the state of Washington, which, of course, is ironic because, again, in another act of their sort of distraction, they keep blaming the oil companies for the prices going up when they are taking a dollar a gallon. I guarantee that nobody in the entire uh, spring um, uh, of, you know, refineries to the a gas station Retailer. is getting a dollar. Yeah, uh, but the state is. And yet the state is complaining about what everybody else is taking. It's just another yeah, see, part of this strategy. And again, Todd, I may have to fault my own business, uh, not just talk radio, because I think we've talked, all the people I know in talk in the Northwest have talked about it, but I think any newsroom that gets a nasty note from Jay Inslee's office saying, you can't call it a tax, I'd turn around and do a story on that. And every news director, you know, who has guts and a spine that I've ever worked for says if the mayor's office or the governor's office or whoever, Senator so-and-so's office, uh, threatens us, we're going to turn that into a story and we're going to tell the, tell our audience that we're being threatened by the governor. But it sounds, has anybody actually done that in newsrooms in Seattle or, or Yakima or Spokane? Uh, only one news outlet that I know of has come to me and said, what do you think of this? And I told them, which is why I wrote the piece, which you can find at WashingtonPolicy.org, about all of the reasons. And I didn't, you know, it's not just this functions as a tax. People feel it like a tax, therefore it's a tax. I actually said, look, legally there are ways to define a tax. And this meets those legal definitions. So I want to make it very clear to reporters and give them the ammunition so that the next time the governor does that or the governor's staff does that, they have something that they can say, well, wait a minute, what about this? But you're right, they should push back, and they're not pushing back enough.
Yeah, because they're cowards. Because remember when Obamacare, the question was, does Congress have the authority to do this? Well, they do through their taxing authority. And then when it got to the Supreme Court and the debate was, well, is it a fee, like Obama says, or is it a tax? Well, it's whatever it is that gets Obama's Obamacare passed through, whatever you want to call it. But it was a tax. And this is a tax. And Jay Inslee and his entire administration are being highly dishonest. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Truth.org. No need to adjust your volume. He's just that loud. Lars Larson. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. i got to tell you something. This story really got to me. I respect veterans for their service in uniform. And imagine this. If you were asked the question, should a 95-year-old veteran of military service, this is a Korean War veteran, should he lose his house should he lose his place of residence, happen to be an old folks' home? But should he lose that place where he lives to make room for illegal aliens, in this case, in New York State? Well, Congressman Ben Klein joins me now. He's a Republican who represents Virginia's 6th Congressional District. Congressman, it's good to have you on always. Welcome back. Great to be back, Lars. And uh, it's a terrible story of the impact of this uh, uh, open border that we have going on right now. Yeah, Frank Tamaro, who or tomorrow, I think is the way you say it, T A M M A R O. Uh, he's he's sitting there at his uh, his senior center in Staten Island, New York, and they come to him a few months ago and say, "Hey, clear out! You got six weeks to get all your stuff, pack it up, and get out." Now, probably in the military, there were sergeants and lieutenants who'd say, "Pack up! It's time to go." But but this is entirely different. And and he asked, "Well, why do I have to go?" And they say, because the city of New York bought your senior center and we're going to stuff it full of illegal aliens that Joe Biden allowed to flood across our border and invade America. What should Americans think about that? It's infuriating. And that just goes to show you the uh, the value that the Biden administration holds for our veterans. It's zero. It's below uh, the value that they hold these illegal immigrants coming in. They're happy to have them in. And the mayor of New York is happy to put them up in housing that they've stolen out from under our nation's veterans. So uh, we've got to stand up to the administration. We've got to stand up to the Senate, who is refusing to take up strong border legislation that we passed earlier this year uh, and demand action now. Congressman Klein, let me ask you this. Is it going to be uh, I try and tough questions even on friends like you because you're a good friend of the show. Are you certain this isn't happening in the Commonwealth, your Commonwealth as well? Because people have been asking me, where are these nine million people? Where'd they go? I said, well, they went to some of the biggest cities and we can see the effect there because they're enough to make them visible, but they're going everywhere in the, in the country and there are nine million of them since Joe Biden took office. That's the official count. Seven and a half million who were uh, actually identified by border patrol when they came across and one and a half million gotaways. They went somewhere. 
are we certain that they're they're not crowding out the veterans in in uh, old folks homes in the commonwealth of virginia too well they're most definitely in the commonwealth of virginia and they're putting added pressure on school systems right now as schools get underway uh they're putting pressure on our our housing supply our transportation network our food supply uh, our healthcare system. You know, I visited Yuma, Arizona, right on the border where we saw a NICU unit for preemies, and it was uh, too often those limited numbers of beds, only about eight or nine beds in the hospital, right. were being taken up by uh, illegals coming across. And the women who were citizens of Arizona had to go hours away to Phoenix to have their baby. So this is happening all across the country. Every community is a border community now. And until we actually secure our border, uh, it's going to continue to cost uh, not only taxpayers dollars, but also lives uh, from the fentanyl, from the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, and the violence that's coming as well. I'm talking to U.S. Representative Ben Klein, the congressman who represents Virginia's 6th Congressional District. Do you know the one where I'm not hearing any complaining, but I have a feeling it's being camouflaged? Because while an awful lot of these people coming across the border are fighting-age males, which should strike anybody as strange, because if you say, well, I'm fleeing from persecution, really? And you came without your wife and kids? What the heck is going on there? When you flee from persecution, you don't say, hey, honey, I got to go. And dad splits town and leaves mom and the kids behind uh, facing the same persecution he claims to be fleeing from. It strikes me that either dad's going off to get a job in America because the, the getting is much better up there uh, than it is down south. Uh, but it also strikes me that when they have brought in family units, all these kids are flooding into the schools as well. And yet, Congressman, have you heard a single school district in America saying, hey, we're swamped with these kids of illegal aliens? Because I know they have a Supreme Court decision that says they have a right to go to school. But that doesn't stop them from crowding the schools that are already too crowded to begin with. Uh, not only are they letting me know in private conversations, you may not hear them speaking up at school board meetings or the school board members speaking at their meetings, but you, I, I hear from them and what they're telling me is not only are the classrooms crowded, they have to hire more teachers, they have a teacher shortage, uh, and, but also the number of English as a second language or ESL teachers that are having to be hired in each school division, uh, is increasing. And, you know, you, we have 200 countries in the world or thereabouts and, and we've got about 170 uh, people from 170 different countries coming across the border. Uh, it is concerning that, that they are single fighting age males. Uh, we have uh, coming from China, places like China. Uh, what, what are they doing crossing the border? You know, we, we are the richest nation on earth. It's great that we are the nation we are, but, uh, we can't be that destination for every person seeking a better life because uh, asylum laws are for people escaping a war or religious persecution or uh, elimination, you know, a genocide based on race or ethnicity. So those are reasons for seeking asylum and uh, under our laws, not just because you want a better job or earn more money or help your family back home. So we've got to enforce our asylum laws. We've got to reestablish or remain in Mexico where you have to stay in Mexico while you're claim is being heard. We also have to change the system so that when you come from South or Central America, 
the first safe country you get to, that's where you request asylum. You don't get to pick and choose which country you use your destination for your asylum request. You have to just go to the next safe country, and that's where you can request asylum. Well, and we should make that explicit in federal law, but that's going to have to wait until you get Republican majorities in both houses. But it strikes yeah, we me that We passed it in H.R. 2. We passed it in the House bill, and it's sitting in the Senate right now. If we uh, passed a bill earlier today that would have... Uh, passed H.R. 2, secured the border, put in Remain in Mexico because immigration and the crisis on our border is the most fundamental crisis right now facing this country, and funded the government at reduced levels, essentially pre-COVID spending levels, which uh, Republicans mostly support. But um, unfortunately, we weren't able to pass it. Every Democrat voted against it. The Democrats in the Senate said it was a non-starter. So they are trying to jam us with a bill without border money and Ukraine. Instead, they're putting Ukraine money in it. We're going to oppose that. We're trying our best to avoid a shutdown uh, here on October 1st. Okay, so uh, one last thing, because I, I got a call from a, a former Marine, a retired Marine. And he said, well, our paychecks when I was in and the government shutdown went just fine. I said, but at this point, there is something different this time, isn't it? The Democrats and the president have opposed continuing funding of the military. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, that's actually true. Uh, the last shutdown, which was during the Trump administration, uh, when I came in in 2019, it was over over the course of uh, about six weeks, uh, they had partial funding measures passed so that you did see sections of the government funded. And we would love to be able to pass those measures that fund our soldiers and fund our, our uh, veterans care and things like that. In fact, the House has passed funding bills for 70% of the government so far. The Senate hasn't passed anything. But uh, what we get is a White House that wants to maximize the political impact of the shutdown. So you're going to see a lot of hue and cry from this White House, but they're the ones causing the shutdown. They're the ones uh, maximizing the political pain while we try and find solutions here in the House. Unbelievable. That's Congressman Ben Klein representing Virginia's 6th Congressional District. Back in a moment. Thanks, Ben. Uh, you're listening to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.
When he talks, you have no choice but to listen. More with Lars. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Our Twitter poll question today. Should the government kill literally hundreds of thousands of owls to protect the wimpy spotted owls who are still dying out? Remember when we had to get out of the forest, stop logging, stop cutting trees. We've got to save the spotted owl. Well, the spotted owl appears to be still headed toward extinction. And apparently now the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service says we've got the solution. It turns out the problem for the spotted owl is actually barred owls because barred owls like to attack and kill spotted owls. So Fish and Wildlife, Fish and Feathers, is proposing to kill 400,000 barred owls over the next 30 years to save the spotted owls. Even though it seems Mother Nature has said, no, no, the the owls just, the spotted owls just not going to make it. They're not made for prime time. On that note, let's go to Eric and Ben listening on the Radio Northwest Network and KBND. Hey, Eric, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, thanks, Lars. Appreciate it. Long time listener, and this is my first time calling in. Hey, you. you know, a lot of times I hear the argument about the spotted owl, and most of the people arguing in favor of preserving the spotted owl are ignorant, which is True. because back in the 80s, the spotted owl was designated an indicator species. So it tells when the numbers decline, it tells the health of the forest is declining. It's much like having a warning light on the dashboard of your car. So releasing the barred owls or killing the barred owls to save the spotted owl is like putting a piece of tape over the oil pressure light that comes on <laughs> on your car's dashboard. You're, you're disguising the real issue. And the left love that because without making that argument, they can say, look, the spotted owl is good. Everything we've done is great. No logging is good. When in fact, that is what is causing the decline of the spotted owl. And that's it. Why would you want to take your canary in the coal mine and put it on oxygen so that the canary never gives you warning that maybe you've run into a pocket of CO, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, anyways, Lars, that was the point I wanted to make, and I hope everybody listening uh, wises up about what really the spotted owl is to the health of our forest. I hope they do, too, and I appreciate the call. I'm sad that they wiped out an entire industry in name of the spotted owl, and now we're told we got to wipe out 400,000 owls to protect the spotted owl. What next? We're going to put it on welfare and food stamps? Let's go to Joel in St. Helens. Hey, Joel, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, it's Joe Hall uh, here. Um, I got a pretty disturbing um, email from a property owner. I'm the handyman that got uh, assaulted by BLM and Antifa. I remember uh, that, that and, and where the Portland police never actually caught up with the bad guys, even though they had the bad guys yeah. on video with the uh, yeah. AR-15 they threatened you with. Uh, but, hey, Antifa yeah. gets special protection in Portlandia. Yeah, well, situation I got going on, my landlord that I work for is a very, probably one of the best landlords, as a matter of fact, the best landlord I've ever worked for in 25 years. Um, one of her tenants um, sent the rent check in. And I, and I emailed you the picture that was wrapped in the rent check. And it's one of those, uh, from the river to the sea, burning building, oh, free Palestine, BLM, uh, ACAB type of, uh, you know, drawing some nitwit drew. And 
the property owner is married to one of the the property owner is Jewish. Oh boy! And that is to me, as the property manager who works for her properties and has for the past thirteen years, that's a threatening. That that is threatening to the landlord. I agree. And and and, and what protections? Property. What protections does she get? Um, you know, because if she were to call the cops, they'd probably, I would guess they would say, well, there's, what's the crime? And she said, I'm being threat, I'm being sent a threatening note. Although, imagine the cops might look at it and say, well, it's not a threat to you personally, it's a threat to Israel and Jewish people. But, you know, if she takes it as a threat, uh, and I think yeah. she should, I think, I think that's a very threatening thing to send. Did she ever confront the renter and say, why would you yeah, send she- me such a thing? Just got it today, and I'm actually on my way over to the property to knock on the tenant's door myself. She just got back from um, Egypt and over in the Middle East on a on a cruise. Nice. And and so I, as as her mouthpiece, I don't usually get political with tenants, but they're going to see the political, not rudeness, political, but direct. Acknowledgement, why did you send this to a Jewish owner of the property? Did it say anything else in that note? Did it say, you know, you sh- did it direct it to her? Or is the no. tenant going to be able to say, oh, it was just a piece of scrap paper that I, I was drawing on, and I happened to include it with a rent check? I could imagine a cockamamie excuse exactly. like that. But, I mean, is exactly. there anything else that might explain that she meant this message specifically for the landlord? No, the building that is burning looks similar to our, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the building and, um, you know, the kind of the way the drawing is with the, you know, the way it's set up. And it looks similar to our property. Uh, maybe the St. Helens Police Department doesn't have time for this, but if you called no, them this, and said, look, they've threatened her. This is, you exactly, should, this is in Portland. This is in oh, Portland. it's in Portland. You should, at the very least, have a have a conversation with that tenant and have the police say to her, what, what, what exactly were you trying to communicate? Because if it was a threat, you've got a problem. Uh, Joe, thank you very much. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. 
Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. You're a lying dog face pony soldier. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. This is First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. And I can tell you, if you haven't heard it before, uh, one of my biggest frustrations is when government agencies, in some cases, it's entire cities or counties or states, will do things that are so colossally stupid. And you'll wonder, why are they doing it that way when this other approach to solving whatever problem it is that they're trying to solve why aren't they doing it this way? This way actually works. The way they're doing it doesn't seem to work at all. And and you wonder. I mean, I wonder about that because in my business, I mean, at least when it comes to the technical side of my business, uh, I have a lot of friends who are talk show hosts. I don't copy their styles. Uh, I, I never have. I never will. I think that's uh, that's wrong and it's theft. But if somebody says, hey, this piece of equipment works a lot better for doing that than the one you're using. I'm glad to listen to people who give me that, that kind of advice. Why those lessons learned are not being shared among cities and counties and states saying, hey, you're trying to solve homelessness. Here's a way that actually works. And then it seems they'll ignore it for reasons I can't entirely understand. The guy who may understand that is our friend Mark Harmsworth, who is director of the Small Business Center at Washington Policy. Mark, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on the last. I appreciate it. Now, if you disagree with anything I just said, feel free to. But are we seeing some really colossally uh, obvious examples of this works, that doesn't? Why isn't everybody doing it this way until somebody comes up with something better? Yeah, and we're going to use Seattle as the uh, the litmus test here because we're seeing cities all over Washington. In fact, the, the whole of the, the Pacific Northwest and across the West Coast here, some cities are starting to wake up to realize that, uh, yeah, if you enforce the law and you have reasonable, compassionate laws that take care of your communities and keep things safe for your citizens, your homelessness problem goes away. Seattle's taken exactly the opposite tack. They are starting to realize that some of their policies, like defunding the police, which they've done over the last few years, have had catastrophic effects on the downtown core. But now what we're seeing is uh, other cities starting to pass things. Buren's an example of this. They've just passed an ordinance that bans camping on public property. Bremerton's doing the same thing. Marysville is considering mandatory minimum sentences for drugs and crime. Go figure. Actually enforce the law. What a great idea. And put you in jail for that. Where Seattle is still, it's starting, but it's still spending most of its money, $334 million on affordable housing, which was an increase of 32% last year. But they only increased their police budget by single-digit percentage up to $374 million. So their focus is wrong. If they took if they took the advice of some of these other cities, they could solve some of these problems that they've got, but they just seem to be going headlong and, and spending money where they don't need to. Well, and what I don't understand about that, Mark, or maybe I do, I've got a sneaking suspicion that when you say, well, the, you know, the, the answer to the problem is spend a third of a billion dollars on so-called affordable housing, that's an awful lot of money that I think would largely go into the pockets 
of private nonprofits, NGOs, and some people who build housing. And they're thinking, hey, this is great. And I think all of those entities like to give money to politicians. Am I wrong to see a possible incestuous connection where the people who build the housing or the people who run the nonprofits say, we'll make sure you get reelected, you make sure we get the moolah, and we'll all be happy even if the problem doesn't get solved, that that may be why they're doing it? Or should we just assign it to rank stupidity at City Hall? Well, I think both options are absolutely terrible. But if you start looking at, um, for example, $106 million out of the, the latest Seattle budget that was announced by the mayor just recently to the King County Regional Homeless Authority, 334 affordable housing costs. They're literally spending $100 million more on affordable housing than they are on police protection. And if you, if you turn it around and you focused on cleaning up the streets and cleaning up the police, the affordable housing problem would start going away because you wouldn't have so many people on the streets anymore. Target wouldn't be closing two of its stores in Seattle, which it just announced it's doing. And three and safety Portland. issues. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then the city turns around and spends another $1.8 million on monitoring systems for CCTVs and license plate readers because that's their way to enforce the law. They, they're only spending $15 million on a business development plan for those businesses. If, if they cleaned up, they got the businesses downtown, their revenue problem will go away because the businesses in town will be making money, paying tax dollars, and they would be able to provide a, a safe and clean environment for businesses and residents alike. And that's what we're seeing now in these other cities like Bury and Bramerton, Marysville, and my own city in Mill Creek as well. Well, see, and, and I, I, I maybe I've shared this with you before, but I'll share it with my audience, Mark. A uh, great example is in, in Portland is uh, they had so much money to spend at Multnomah County, which is the sort of uh, uh, ideological analog of King County uh, in Portland. And they had so much money to spend on homelessness that they ended up with 60 or about 60 million left over. Like we can't even figure out how to spend this much money. I mean, is that stupid? And we said, well, there's this program over here that's about to go out of business, Bobby Lakes Hope Center. And, and if you say, well, what have they done? Well, let's see, they processed 2,200 people. They have a 60% success rate. Got anybody who's doing the job that well? To which the city and county would have to say, well, no, nobody's doing it that well. They're just sucking up dollars and churning out reports. And you say, well, why don't you give them a little bit of money? They're about to go out of business. And it literally took weeks and a lot of public pressure to get Multnomah County to say, well, we'll part with maybe a million bucks to keep Bybee Lakes Hope operating because it works. And it's almost as though, Mark, I don't have my tinfoil hat on too tight, but it's almost as though they looked at it and said, Hey, if we start doing programs like that, we're going to wipe out the problem, and pretty soon there will be no reason to spend all these tens of millions of dollars. And all the people who are getting the money now said, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't solve the problem. If you do that, we don't get money anymore. I mean, it's, it's really a disregard for the ultimate outcome for those people who are addicted and homeless and living on the streets in degrading conditions where the powers that be have said, as long as those people are out there, we've got an excuse to take hundreds of millions of dollars from the taxpayers and waste it any way we want. If we solve it, we don't have the problem anymore. Yeah, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head when some of these organizations, they realize that. Uh, if they if they solve the problem, they're out of a job effectively, and that gravy train will run out, run out. 
And it, it's, it's terrible to say it that way, but a lot of these organizations do have an incredible amount of money. Think about the King County Regional Homeless Authority that asked for, you know, a billion or 12 billion, I think it may have even been dollars this year from the, from the county and from the city. And they get, they still get 106 million, but what they haven't actually solved any problems yet. And they just want more and more money. It reminds me of Sound Transit and uh, the light rail to nowhere, but they keep spending money. But, um, and they're not actually getting there in the end. So, yeah, I'm hoping that uh, Seattle, there'll be some calmer heads. We've got an election this year, obviously, where we'll see a change in the council. They can look to these other cities. They can partner with them and see the success like Marysville has seen and some of these other cities. They're a little smaller, but uh, well, they've definitely got the right idea. Maybe we can get some of the reporters to actually do their jobs and ask some hard questions of people like Bruce Harrell and the folks at the King County Regional Homeless Authority. That's Mark Harms from Washington Policy. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. The Zoom meeting you actually want to be at. This is the Lars Larson Show. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And since we're in election times, and we're going to be for about the next year and a half, I want you to consider something. It's fairly routine for us to warn you that uh, the future of the United States or the future of your state is at stake. But there's more than that now, because it's very clear that some of the stakes include your kids the control of your kids, the ability to indoctrinate your kids, the ability to break your kids away from your family and tell them everything good comes from the government, every value you have should mirror that of the government. And already we're seeing formal legislative efforts to do exactly that. For example, California's Governor Gavin Newsom has signed a bill into law recently it eliminates the ability of local school boards to decide which textbooks, which library books, and which curriculum materials are even allowed in public schools based on the needs and desires of the parents and the students. And I'd include 
just the taxpayers in general. Too often we hear, well, the schools only matter to the parents and the kids. No, they don't. They matter to the entire community. So should those decisions be made in local school boards or and where you at least have an are a chance to influence what is decided in your particular community? Or should they be made at a state capitol or even on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C.? Representative Jim Walsh represents the 19th legislative district in Washington state. Representative Walsh, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's always good to talk to you, Lars. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Where do we stand right now, at least as far as Washington state's concerned, about whether or not parents and the community in various communities around your state and my state, too, uh, whether they, they get the judgment call on what gets put in front of their kids and into their kids' heads, or it's decided at state capitals or our nation's capital hundreds or thousands of miles away? Uh, yeah, this is a problem. Not, not, not so good here. Uh, I, I try not to pay too much attention to what goes on in California, but this bill passed into law recently down there uh, is trying to be a, a national standard, as as the supporters of it and the governor down there called it. So it's an issue for people in Oregon and, and Washington. It's a state law, state bill, that, as you say, removes the authority of deciding which books and textbooks are in uh, K-12 public school classrooms and school libraries at, at, at elementary schools and, and middle schools, junior highs, high schools, out of the hands of the locally elected school boards where it rests currently. That authority resides with the locally elected school boards, and it puts it into the the control of uh, bureaucrats at the uh, at the state government level. And this is this is just the latest step in a trend we've seen of moving authority away from the locally elected school boards and toward the state bureaucrats. And in this case, it's especially sneaky, Lars, because the supporters of this uh, this power grab are using the rhetoric of book banning. They're saying that that families, parental groups, local groups are banning books from schools, and that is not what this bill addresses at all but they're using the rhetoric of book banning to try to make families that don't want pornography in school classrooms and school libraries into book banners which they're not the stuff's available widely anywhere it's just a question of what's in a school's classrooms what's in a school's school library and who decides that it ought to be the local school board, not the unelected bureaucrats. And by the way, go back to the representation issue. They're actually proposing, or this is what's happening in California, they're stripping away two levels of representation. We are in a republic, after all. It's supposed to be a representative government. And, let us, and yet, as you pointed out, they're stripping away your representatives on the school board. I realize that far too many of them are there only because the teachers' union wants them there, and they're reliably liberal. But... You have a level of rep representation there, and you say, well, uh, but they can be overridden by the state legislature, except you have state legislatures who said, we're not going to do it either. We're going to let a bunch of faceless, nameless bureaucrats that the voters may have never heard of, don't know the name of, don't know who they are, what their powers are. Those people who aren't subject to re-election or unelection, uh, they're just sitting in an office somewhere a couple of hundred miles away saying, we make the judgment call. The voters have nothing to say about it. And, and they laugh. I mean, 
the, the bureaucrats, whether it's in Salem or, or Olympia or wherever it is, or D.C., they, they consider themselves permanent. And they consider the legislators, they consider the school boards, they consider anybody elected by the people's office as temporary and moving along. And they, the bureaucrat establishment, I mean, some call it the deep state, they are the permanent power base. And we've got to push back against this, Lars. It's, our system is built in the idea that the, the deciding power, the control over things like what's in a school's classroom or school library, that's what the representatives that the people elect, not and, the, the bureaucrats that they don't. And by the way, Representative Walsh, uh, I know people are going to say, well, you're saying it's pornography, but Lars, you're probably exaggerating. Am I wrong in saying that a lot of the stuff that parents are objecting to is the most objectionable? It is so objectionable that when parents show up at school board meetings, as they have all over America, and said, I'm going to read from the book you put in front of my third grader, my eight-year-old, that the school boards blow a gasket and say, you can't read that. It's too dirty to read at the school board meeting, to which the parents sensibly say, well, if it's too dirty for the school board meeting full of adults, what are you saying about putting it in front of eight-year-olds? That's exactly right. People probably have seen or heard that that those stories, and they're all over the place. They're happening in multiple states, multiple locations. Uh, there are books. They're not even textbooks. They're they're just kids' books that aren't really kids' material. They're pushing uh, agendas about sexual identity, sexual, you know, sexuality, and and these are in school libraries, and and it's it's reasonable for parents and, and grandparents and families to say we don't like these materials in a school library. And the material isn't, if you don't have it in a school library, that's not banning a book. Nope. That book is still widely available to anyone who wants to buy it online or anywhere. So I don't like also that these radical agenda pushers are, are trying to say that people who are have common sense and just being reasonable are book banners that, that's incendiary language. They're well, in fact, I think we should throw it back at them, Representative Walsh. We should say every single librarian in America, except the librarian of the Library of Congress, does not have some of the books that are in the world in their library. We know that for a fact. There isn't a school library in America that has every single book in it, which means somebody, almost certainly a librarian, has said, we're going to include this one, we're not going to include that one. They make those choices. And what they're saying, in effect, to parents is, you have no right to even be involved in that choice. It is made only by us. And by the way, librarians don't run for election either, and they can't be unelected at election time. That's Washington State Representative Jim Walsh representing the 19th Legislative District. Back in a moment. Glad to get your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. Larson Show. Broadcasting from his socially distanced bunker to yours, it's sanitized entertainment. Here's Lars Larson. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails in just a moment. I'm going to ask the uh, indulgence of my friend Carl Zabo, who's vice president of NetChoice, uh, who we plan to talk about social media with and the Biden administration controlling social media for the 24 election. Carl, welcome to the show, and can you give me just a moment, because something big just came down. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this is huge for people in the Second Amendment community, and I count myself in that group. A federal judge, late on a Friday, of course, a federal judge in California has declared the state's ban on gun magazines that hold more than 10 rounds of ammunition. Unconstitutional, declaring that it violates the Second Amendment rights of firearms owners. That's one that a lot of us have been waiting for for a long time, and now it's happened. Of course, it'll it'll go up the chain uh, to the appeals courts and probably to the Supreme Court. But I think uh, I think it's the right constitutional decision. It's hugely important because of its import in other states, uh, the 50 states, uh, where it's being misapplied by the anti-gunners, including people like Kamala Harris, who's now heading up this crazy. Uh, a gun violence prevention office. You know, that's more of the nonsense coming out of the White House. But Carl Zabo is with me, vice president of NetJoyce, trade association of businesses that want free speech and free enterprise online. Carl, uh, what, is, what does your group see that the Biden administration is planning to do to try to control the social media through which an awful lot of Americans get almost all the information that they have about what's going on in the world? Yeah, thanks, Lars. I mean, you were just talking about the complete disregard by this Biden administration of the Second Amendment. What I'm talking about is also the Biden administration's complete disregard of the First Amendment, and that protects our right to say what we want and to hear what we want without the government getting in the way. Now, the Biden administration has a long and fraught history with its attempts to control speech online. Uh, it was about a year ago. I know we have short memories these, these days. But a year ago, we had the Biden Disinformation Governance Board. It was going to be run by uh, Mary Poppins, as you all may recall. Uh, recall. And by the way, don't worry. Uh, she ended up finding a job in the White House nonetheless, despite uh, the closing down of the Disinformation Governance Board. So what we've actually been finding over the past couple of years is the Biden administration has been pressuring and coercing social media platforms to remove content that Biden doesn't like. And it finally came to light uh, as the attorneys generals of Louisiana and Missouri sued the Biden administration for violation of the First Amendment, a case called Missouri v. Biden. It's now before the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, I think the Biden administration finally is starting to get the message that they can't just go out there and pressure social media platforms to remove speech. But what they're trying to do now is instead of doing it through the White House, they're now trying to do it through the Biden 2024 political campaign. And so what they just did was the Biden administration hired up a bunch of about 100 or so staffers and volunteers to monitor platforms uh, and trying to push back on disinformation and misinformation. And what they did is they actually brought on a individual from the White House who was infamous in the Facebook files for actually forcing social media platforms to remove content. So what we're seeing now is what the White House can't do because the Constitution stops it, the Biden administration is trying to do through its political campaign. And let's be clear, 
it's the same group of people. So even though they changed the name from the White House to Biden 2024 for White House, it's still going to be a violation of the First Amendment. It's still pressuring of social media. It's still control of free speech online in violation of the First Amendment. Well, uh, Carl, let me, I'm not a lawyer. I don't think you're a lawyer either. But, but tell me this. Um, over the years, I've talked to plenty of people in public office, and they've, they've always told me anything I can't do as a member of the government, whether it's federal, state, or local, I'm not allowed to have it done by, an, by somebody acting as my agent. So if you say have a local prosecutor and you say that prosecutor can't go search that house, well, can he go hire somebody to go search the house for him and get away with it? And, and the answer is no, because then that person would be acting as his, as his agent. Now, I'm kind of spitballing this, but if, if the president himself, who I assume at least allegedly directs his own presidential campaign, although I suspect it's not really Joe Biden, it's somebody else who's directing everything the guy does. But if his campaign goes off and acts as his agent to do things that would be unconstitutional if Joe Biden did them, but would be okay if a private organization or individual did it, but they're doing it at the direction of Joe Biden, who's still a government official. Is he allowed to do that? Yeah, the, well, the good news is I, I, I am actually an attorney, or at least I, I play one on TV. Sorry. Uh, and so I teach uh, Fourth Amendment law is, is one of the things that I teach. And basically, the simple answer is, of course you can. It's agency law. So you're exactly right with the example you use. The government, the, the police, for example, can't just enter your house without a warrant. Right. But they can't then say, well, I don't want to go get a warrant, so I'm going to just hire a private investigator to kick in the door for me. No, you can't do that because they are operating as your agent. You are completely liable, responsible, and all of the protections of the U.S. Constitution apply because otherwise these protections would be meaningless if the government could just hire around it. And that seems to be exactly what we're seeing here where the Biden administration is now going through a private industry rather than directly through whitehouse.gov to control and censor speech online. And by, and by the way, Carl, I'm sorry I, I, I diminished you by taking away your JD. I'm glad, oh, glad no, you have it. No, 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 no worries. <laughs> it's, it's more just the ridiculous <laughs> amount of money I spent there. So I, I'm sure, but I'm, I'm sure you didn't ask for anybody to forgive your uh, your loans. But but here's what I don't understand. Then it's bad enough when a private company like Facebook or or the old Twitter uh, agrees to do the bidding of the federal government. But this isn't that. This is something that is an organization, a multi-hundred million dollar, perhaps even a multi-billion dollar operation, the president's re-election campaign, that's doing it at his direction. And, and so is that even, uh, you know, say, fundamentally different than, say, Twitter agreeing to censor on behalf of the federal government? This is the president's own organization, bought and paid for, and one not under the control of Congress, not under the control of the, the courts. Well, for the most part, for the courts, he can just tell my, his organization, I want you to do this. Limit the free speech of Americans, and they can do it at his direction, and, and he gets away with skirting around the First Amendment to the Constitution? It's, it's actually quite terrifying. So the, when... when President Biden is running in his personal capacity 
for re-election, there's supposed to be this clear line in the, in the sand, right? This, this uh, what used to be called a Chinese wall between government life and his campaign life. But there is a reason why he can, President Biden can go and host a dinner where he's charging $10,000, $50,000 a plate on Broadway and people right. will pay it. It's because, not because they are excited about the campaign, not because they want to donate to the campaign, but because they know that gives them an avenue to the White House to curry favor. And so the same thing is true when the Biden campaign goes out there and suggests, and I use heavy quotation marks, suggests the removal of disinformation that they see, a.k.a. truth that Biden doesn't like. Absolutely right. That's Carl Zabo, vice president of NetChoice, trade association of businesses trying to keep free speech going. Carl, thanks very much. Back in a moment, you got the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest now. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Don't have I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Because you can't get enough, Lars. Podcast every show at LarsLarson.com. It's getting you listen to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I get alerted to things by people who listen to this show, and I'm very grateful for that. So don't ever hesitate to send me an email. Even when I mention I get 1,000 to 1,100 emails a day, I try to answer all of them, and I consider all of them because I think there's information in there that you're not going to see from the mainstream legacy media. For example, I get a note like this one. Lars, I'm 32. I have my first kid on the way. I'm very excited to meet him. He was due on the 18th of November. I tried to make a claim on Oregon's family paid leave program. Turns out somebody else is using my name and social security number. We'll just go with Z for your first name. If you want to safeguard it a little bit more, Z, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going, Lars? Not too badly. So so uh, we have to ask, first of all, has your son arrived yet? No, nope, he has not quite arrived yet. Uh, okay, any day well, now, though. Congratulations in advance. How did you come to find out that somebody else was using your information in this paid family leave program? So I first found out about it uh, when I first applied for the Oregon paid leave to find out that once your Social Security number and your date of birth. And when I went and put all that in, it said uh, 
I already had an account, which I know I didn't. So uh, I had to give them a call, and that's when they said that someone made a fraud account under my name and that they had to send it off to their fraud department, and it was going to take them a couple days to look into it and for them to delete it. And that's when I could go back on and continue the process. <clears throat> but um, but until they, they resolve it, Z, am I to understand you're not able to take the paid leave that you're supposed to be entitled to because somebody stole paid leave under your name? Yes, that's correct. So, so you're locked out while the thief is still in. Did they indicate whether or not this person has been getting payments under the paid family leave using your name and social? They give me very little information, uh, but apparently the person that did try using my name um, only got as far as applying. So from what they're telling me, uh, they haven't gotten any benefits from it right now. So, Well, that's good. But but they still yeah. have your name, your social, and your DOB, and that's the kind of information that a lot of identity thieves can use to, to do all kinds of other things, like apply for credit and that sort of thing. Are you protected against that? Oh, yes. Uh, <clears throat> right once I found out, I went on and froze all my personal accounts, uh, went on to the credit bureaus, froze my uh, credit bureau accounts, and had a call and make a make a note with the non-emergency police department about it and everything else and yeah it's just been a been a nightmare okay now one i'm, I'm curious did you find out from them they said the person had gone through the application but never actually got paid any money did were they stopped by the system or were they or they did they just not complete the process on their own i'm curious because i'm wondering did the system detect that it was a fraudulent application no not to my knowledge, it didn't detect that it was a fraud account. Um, what they told me is that it takes uh, 21 days for accounts to fully process. So I guess I caught them within that time frame, luckily. <laughs> but, yeah. And, they... and, and, and I guess what I'm wondering is, Zach, the idea that somebody could apply for paid leave, get sent a check by the state of Oregon if they managed to get through the 21-day period, and didn't have somebody else applying in that same name, uh, that seems like a really wide open door. Do, does the state require for this program, do they require any kind of proof? If if I said, you know, if somebody said, I'm Lars Larson, and here's my DOB, and here's my social, that they would simply take their word for it without showing up or showing picture ID or anything like that? Exactly. It seemed a little, uh, little loose in the system for some to happen like that. I mean... You'd think you'd need a little bit more information to literally take someone's identity. And, and it's not beyond their capabilities, Zach. I just renewed both my concealed carry permit for Clark County, Washington, and my permit for Oregon. And and with that, they said, you can you can do that online, but we need you to take a, a, a scanned picture of your picture ID, both sides, and your DOB, and your name, and your proper home address that matches your, your scanned photo, if they use that same system, they'd lock out a whole bunch of thieves who wouldn't have, you know, your name and your DOB and all and your address all on a piece of picture ID. I'm kind of wondering why they have a great system in place to make sure nobody else applies for a carry permit in my name, but they don't have a great uh, system when it comes to cash, which seems like a much more attractive target for thieves. Like I said, I don't know how far they got in the process, but, I mean, 
they wouldn't give me too much of the information, but they used a different email than mine, and they didn't even use my address, my correct address. They wouldn't tell me what address they used, but I'm kind of wondering, you know, how far was this person going to be able to get with my name and Social Security and not have everything without having all the ducks lined up in a row, you know? Z, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you, Lars. Appreciate it. That is the Z-Man, and he alerted me to this. I, I got to tell you something. I want to know. I want some report because the state won't talk to me. I mean, I call Oregon, I call Washington, and, and they just routinely do not respond. But I'd like to know from you, if they're trusted with millions of dollars of your money, and they're giving it away to anybody who knows your name, your date of birth, and your social security number, can you imagine how much fraud is likely to happen under those kind of circumstances? I'll get to your phone calls in the next segment. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. It's the Lars Larson Show, and you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. You ready? Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. I'm your lying dog face pony soldier. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. This is First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show and welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What happens when the folks who call themselves public servants, like, say, the governor of a state or certain members of the state legislature, conspire together to make it absolutely impossible for people to be able to afford the cost of living in a given state? I think that applies to Washington State. And clearly, I have a dog in the fight because I'm a Washington State resident, but I don't think it's any better in the state of Oregon. I thought we'd talk about it with Representative Peter Abarno, who is a Republican from the Centralia area. Representative Barno, welcome back to the program. Uh, thank you for having me. Is it affordable to live in the state of Washington, given what's happened in the last couple of years especially? It is not, and it's getting harder and harder. Most certainly, economic security and affordability is on the top of everybody's mind uh, with the amount of regulations and taxes that are just piling on uh, working families. 
I uh, the only at the risk of disagreeing with you, Representative Abarno, is it on the minds of your Democrat colleagues in Olympia when you say to them, "Gas is too expensive because of the state. Food is becoming expensive because of the state and the federal government. Uh, building a house is too expensive, mostly because of government." Uh, I, I suspect that your Democrat colleagues don't share that opinion. I, you know, I don't know if they share that opinion or not, but I, I think their view has been where those uh, folks are having a tough time with affordability and those kitchen table issues just making ends meet, they want to tax somebody else. Uh, they always can find a pocket to dip their hand in and find more money and then redistribute that money. And and has that worked out for them so far? <laughs> Well, I don't, it, obviously not. Uh, they've, they've reached in a lot of pockets. I mean, most recently you look at long-term care, uh, payroll tax, and you look at, you know, the gas tax and the Climate Commitment Act, uh, which has just skyrocketed fuel prices um, and created uh, just such a regressive impact on low-income families. Those really least able to afford those increases. I mean, if we had a real attorney general, I think if, if a private company had done with what you just mentioned, the long-term care tax, this so-called long-term care insurance that's not really insurance, is not even affordable to many of the people who are paying money into it right now, the, the, if we had a real attorney general in the state of Washington, he'd be bringing people up on charges of fraud, wouldn't he? Well, I don't know what he would do, but, you know, consumer protection has always been the hallmark of the attorney general's office in the state of Washington. And the state of Washington government has not been protecting the consumer. And I mean, because, so for I, example, I, I resist. I resent having to pay that tax. I pay it because it's the law. But when I look at it, I say, well, I've already got disability insurance. That doesn't exempt me. I have to pay the tax. And someday, if I ever need it, the most it's going to pay for is a couple of months of long-term care. So, I mean, wouldn't it be fraud all by itself to say, we're going to give you a long-term care program? Really? How, do, how long does that last? About 60 days, maybe 70 if you're lucky. And that's only if you have a bunch of money of your own, because we're, we're only going to pay out a small amount of money. And you say, but I'm paying in hundreds of dollars every year. In some cases, people are paying thousands. And you're going to give me a cup, you know, $36,500 over my entire lifetime. And I'm disqualified if I don't pay in long enough. I'm disqualified if I don't live in the state of Washington. Uh, you know, there, there are lots of ways to disqualify you. That sounds like a, a, a classic case of fraud. And it shouldn't be happening. Well, and you pointed out it's not long-term care. It's short-term care. And even the advocates of this payroll tax program uh, will admit that this is more gap type coverage that only lasts a very short period of time so yeah it's it's mislabeled and it and it's deceptive marketing i'm talking to representative peter abarno he represents the 20th legislative district in washington state centralia is is the general area of his district so can we get anything done about this and especially the one that's been at the top of my list and i think i would imagine is the top of many people's list is this crazy carbon tax that's already taken a, more than a billion dollars out of people's pockets. And Jay Inslee wants you to believe that, no, it hasn't had any effect on the cost of gas at all. He'll steadfastly deny it to anybody who asks about it, because apparently none of the Seattle media have seen fit to actually hold his feet to the fire and demand some answers about how it is that companies selling gasoline and diesel and, and fuel for farmers and propane and natural gas are not going to add that billion dollars to the bills that all of us pay. They would have you believe that, and I think that's another fraud. 
Well, I mean, if you look at when the CCA was passed in, in 2021, it started, gas prices didn't go up until that program got implemented this year. And the moment that program got implemented in January, you saw gas prices uh, skyrocket. And the reason why is because the program adds a ton of regulations and compliance, and it's going to get passed on to somebody. Somebody's going to have to pay for it. And sadly, it's the people who can least afford to pay for it. Well, and of course, Jay Inslee would have you believe, no, 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 these gas and oil companies, they're so rich, they're making so much money on every gallon of gas, they'll just pay it out of petty cash, and they'll absorb the cost themselves. He actually believes that. He said so. Well, I don't think the governor has a real good grasp on economics, and well, that's just can, not how it works. Can we get the other members of his party, because this has been a party-line issue, hasn't it? I mean, if you go to your Democrat friends in Olympia, uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm being too broad in calling them your friends. I don't want to insult you. Uh, but when you go to them and say, this can't continue, what do they tell you? Well, they think it should, and they think it can, and sadly, they're not looking at who's getting hurt by it. And it's uh, working families, it's uh, seniors, it's those on fixed incomes who are feeling the brunt of that increase in, in fuel prices. And again, we talked about it right in the beginning of this segment. Um, I would say we should be cutting taxes, cutting regulations, and trying to incentivize. Instead, they're looking for more pockets to go after, and that's just not going to work. Well, probably second on my list, Representative Barno, is this. I'd like to see government make it easier for people to build housing because people need housing. In both Oregon and Washington, there's a massive problem of undersupply of housing, and it drives prices through the roof. And government is the only factor in that we could change it. We can't change the cost of labor, can't change the cost of fuel. Well, we are changing the cost of fuel. We can't change the cost of the materials that go into housing, but the government regulations that jack up the price of every house and every apartment, government could change that. They could even allow a short-term holiday from those fees if they wanted to, to actually spur more or construction, and they choose not to. Yeah, the lack of uh, housing inventory is really a, a generational mismanagement of, of, of how we deal with building regulations, infrastructure, and the state has been behind the ball for, like I said, a generation. They're trying to get caught up, uh, but adding more regulations, and a lot of them are environmental regulations, uh, is really, again, it's hurting communities like mine that need to build housing. They, we need uh, not just affordable housing, but a housing across the board, and it's just not getting built. Well, I'll tell you what, Representative Barno, here's an idea. Why don't we tell Jay Inslee, when uh, environmental regs got in the way of building the border wall that Joe Biden always said he wasn't going to do, today he's just decided to waive 26 of them. Why don't we suggest that Jay Inslee do the same? That's Representative Peter Abarno. I'll be back. I'll get to your phone calls in the next segment. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. You're listening to the best of The Lars Larson Show. me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. 
You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Email talk at LarsLarson.com. He actually reads them. More with Lars right now. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And, of course, we're in election season. Lately, it seems like we're always in election season. But we have a presidential election in just over a year. Next year, we have uh, some fairly significant congressional elections as well. And I thought we'd talk to Francis Rooney, who's a former member of Congress, representing a, the 19th District in Florida and former ambassador to the Holy See. Uh, Francis, welcome back. Thanks for having me back on. So where are we headed now? Because you've written about this recently at the Hill, and you said now that the midterms are over, it's time for the Republican Party to come to terms with two concepts. One, the narrative that this is Donald Trump's party should be laid to rest. And second, Americans want representatives in office who will be pragmatic and deliver results and not empty rhetoric. I could agree with parts of both of those. Explain what you were trying to get across. Well, I think that um, the... Uh, both the Senate and the House have shown in the recent years, many years, in fact, that they're incapable of dealing with the hard problems that face America. I mean, President Trump tried to deal with some of the hard problems. And I think that Congress has proven to be so sclerotic that we need the, the American people need to call on them to solve the problems, to get across the aisle, to um, deal with issues like immigration. OK, we need yep. a border, but we also need workers. And George Bush tried to solve that equation for securing the border and organizing a work permit program where they would be registered and we would know who they are and where they are at all times. It's not rocket science. You just have to have the political will to do it. I'm just worried, Mr. Rooney, that if you said we're going to have a worker program and there will be licensed ones, we have some of that in the H-1 program that allows foreign workers to come in and do jobs. I'm not entirely comfortable with the idea because... It suggests that, well, some American workers are going to lose out uh, to the foreign workers uh, because of the wage differential and the desire of foreign workers to come to America. The second thing is, I don't have any confidence that even if you created that system, that the rules would be enforced when you say, well, you can come here, work, and then you go home, wherever home is, that when people say, or what? If I don't go home, what are you going to do? And so far for the last several decades, America has said, we're not going to do much of anything if you decide not to return. Well, the difference is the system now is they come across the border, they move into some opaque shadows of life, they get a job somewhere, change their name probably. Nobody knows who they are. <clears throat> we have no ability to track them or deal with them. Bush's proposal in 2007 was they would enter they would get a registration number. I forget whether it's like Social Security or what. It wasn't getting benefits, but it was a, some kind of where we know who you are number. And we would be able to keep track of them, and they would have to use that number to register for their employment and therefore have their taxes withheld, et cetera, et cetera. 
And that's a that's a relatively accountable system. Yeah, except except every single time we're made this promise is like Lucy holding pulling the football back from Charlie Brown. In 1986, when the Congress, not Ronald Reagan, the Congress passed the amnesty and Ronald Reagan signed it, later called it the biggest mistake of his career, uh, they said, we promise, cross our hearts and hope to die, that if you let in, uh, I think it was estimated a million or a little over a million, might have been a couple of million people, uh, that we will start enforcing the border. I mean, the courts kept saying, well, you know, you missed the deadline, but we're going to include you anyway. So the courts kind of legislated and said, we're going to extend that amnesty from a couple of million to an estimated, well, Yale and I think one other university estimated it, something like 22 to 30 million people that were here illegally before Joe Biden began his invasion. And they never did enforce the border, despite the fact that that was one of the promises. And yet the amnesty went on. No, they didn't. And, and if we go at this round again, it needs to be put together such that the border enforcement <coughs> probably needs to precede the work permits. I, I would agree with because that as well. And, the, you know, the other thing I could imagine is a sunset built into it saying if we find that more than a certain number of people have stayed and have not left on schedule or have been, we've lost track of them or whatever, that the entire system of allowing people in stops immediately until those criteria are met. Could you imagine a piece of legislation that might work that way? That would be a good answer, too. Absolutely. It would have been a lot better had Reagan's amnesty bill had that in it. You know, there's another issue to this is asylum. And I introduced a bill with Jacob Chavitz when I was in the House to prohibit anybody from claiming asylum that was already in the United States. Great. You think about it. It's, it's kind of an oxymoron that you claim asylum when you're already here. You need to claim asylum before you get here. And Trump did that with Title 42. And unfortunately, Biden just terminated Title 42, which I think is a terrible mistake. Well, and by the way, one of the other pieces of international law, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Congressman, but international law says if I'm fleeing from persecution, a war, persecution for my race, religion, national origin, sexual preference, whatever, the minute I get to a country where I'm not being persecuted that will let me stay, I'm required to stay there. I don't get to come into, if you're fleeing the Middle East and you get to Greece or you get to Sicily or you get to Italy, you don't get to say, well, yeah, thanks for letting me in, but I'd like to go to Germany or I'd like to go to Sweden. You stop right there. And yet most of that nine million that Joe Biden is allowed to, to invade our country have not been coming from countries next door. They're coming from countries two or three countries away, or in the case of the Chinese communists, work, you know, the, the fighting age males who are coming in, they're coming from the other side of the planet and then saying, but I'm here on asylum because that's the be all and get all, get out of jail card. You know, you're right about that. <clears throat> and they're coming through Mexico, and that's part of what the Title 42 deal was so good about is you can't claim asylum if you're in the United States. you got to claim it in the country that you came into. The other thing about asylum is the federal courts, like a lot of bad things, have expanded what is considered asylum. If you look at the asylum law, it's very narrow, political or religious persecution. Not do you have gangs in your country or do they beat their wives or do you have a bad education system, none of that kind of stuff. It's No, because that describes an awful lot of planet Earth, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's a very narrow thing, but it's been widened and expanded. And now we're in this huge mess, and the only way to stop it 
is to totally overhaul the law, police the border, and set up a work permit program where nobody comes in here that we don't want. Well, let me ask you one more thing about this is not Donald Trump's party. I'm a Trump partisan. I support the president for the nomination and for the election next year. He's, according to the polls, he's got 57% of Republicans who say, I want him for the nominee. You got 52. He would win the election if it were held today, 52 to 42 over feeble old Joe. How is that not Donald Trump's party? It is. I just did a CNN interview this afternoon, and we're talking about that, and I said, look, he has over 30% lead in all of the initial primaries right down to Super Tuesday. This thing is game, set, match, unless something radically uh, un, uh, unravels in the meantime. I'd agree with you. And I'm still going to be interested in seeing what the uh, debaters do tonight when you got the seven also-rans and then a couple more who didn't make the cut for tonight's debate. Mr. Rooney, it's always a They're pleasure to have you Canadian on. Football. They're playing the Canadian football league. <laughs> that's a good way that's a great metaphor for it and since he was ambassador to the holy see he knows about metaphors and, and parables uh francis rooney former member of congress from the 19th congressional district of florida back in just a moment and we'll get to your calls you're listening to the lars larson show and the radio northwest network you're listening to the best of the lars larson show Larson Show. Right on the left coast. Get it? Here's Lars Larson. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I'll do more of that in just a moment. But first, I want to talk a bit about what has happened since Roe v. Wade was overturned in June of last year. I know the... Uh, the decision, or what was alleged to be the decision, got out earlier than that, but the Supreme Court's official announcement came just about a year ago in June. And the question is, what effect has that had on the rest of the country? Sean Carney is CEO and President of 40 Days for Life. Sean, welcome back to the program. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. And it was good to see Roe v. Wade overturned because... I know that the, the Democrats and liberals who have to be pro-abortion, they don't even call it pro-abortion, but they, they call themselves, you know, pro-choice and all these little, uh, grammatical workarounds, uh, to avoid actually saying the A word. Uh, but they always said, well, uh, it's a right from the Constitution, which nobody else could find in the Constitution except the Supreme Court 50 years ago. This has been a great development for America, and it puts the decision-making back in the hands of states. So what's happened since that decision? Well, since that decision, we've seen abortion advocates have to do something that they haven't had to do in 50 years because they've had the comfort of, of Roe. And that's discuss abortion, and and they're not very good at it. Um, that's why you see these absurd things where they're promoting infanticide. You see abortion becoming uh, really a sacrament for our federal government, whether it be the FDA that's deregulating chemical abortions or the DOJ that's targeting pro-life groups or the military that's now saying we're just going to fly everybody around so that they can get abortions. Um the reaction and, pay for, and pay for them, by the way, in violation of the Hyde them. Amendment. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was very reactionary on their end. On our end, it's been great. 
I mean, we have grown significantly uh, in the grassroots. People should know the grassroots pro-life movement in America is the example for the world. It's very robust. Pregnancy resource centers outnumber abortion providers five to one across the country, um, including states like California, New Jersey, and Illinois. We have things like 40 Days for Life where we regularly go out and offer alternatives to abortion uh, where the abortions actually take place. The abortion industry has nothing like that at the local level. They're very top-heavy. So the base of the pro-life movement was much more motivated with the overturning of Roe. It, it wasn't, well, the work's done, let's let's go home. <laughs> um, it was quite the opposite. So we've, we've had an increase in locations and volunteers in the U.S., and that's despite losing some locations for the best reason, which is an abortion facility closed post-Roe. So uh, I would say enthusiasm and growth would characterize what's happened in, in the pro-life movement. Well, and you know what I would hope, Sean, is that we take that the Republican office seekers and office holders are forced to actually advocate for this because it seems like an absolutely amazing moment in history where you've got the vice president of the United States. I realize she's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Uh, she, she has a tough time speaking most of the time, just like her boss. But when she was asked, I think it's now about a week and a half ago, would you tell us how far you're willing to go with this? Would you take abortion right up to the moment of birth? which is, of course, what the piece of legislation that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have been pushing says. It says take it up to the moment of birth. And even they get queasy, not just queasy, Kamala Harris just flatly refused to answer the question. And you think this is your issue. You want to have yeah. abortions up to this moment. Are you not willing to actually say it out loud? It's like somebody who, you know, I, I, I think I, I wish I could come up with a better metaphor. But, Sean, somebody who says, I really, really want a, well, I'd like an adult beverage that's cold. It's a hot day. And you say, why don't you just say beer? You say, well, I, I, you know, <laughs> and if they can't bring themselves to say it, then that shows that they're uncomfortable with the idea, too, doesn't it? I like that analogy. Another one is if, if abortion is legitimate health care, which it's not, that's why they always have to tell us that it is. Um, well, if, you're, if you asked her, Look, if your uncle gets in there and, and and he's examined for his triple bypass surgery and the and the cardiologist looks at you and says, "Hey, he needs quadruple bypass. Are you okay with doing quadruple bypass?" She'd be like, "Yeah, the doctor said he needed it. Do it." What? This isn't controversial. Healthcare's not controversial when it's necessary, and abortion's not necessary. And so there's two sides of it. There's, do you believe in abortion up to 40 weeks? She says yes. Or do you believe in abortion up to 40 weeks? She says nothing or she says no. Why not? Why would you deny a woman access to health care and not allow abortion at 40 weeks? What's wrong with an abortion? Uh, and, and, and make them talk about it. And that's what's so good for us in a post-Roe world because we're realizing that we can no longer live in the fantasy of 1973 science. And that is exactly what the, what Alito put in the opinion, they are trying to drag us out of 1973 science. We do surgeries on unborn children. We don't allow pregnant women to get on a roller coaster. It's just unbelievable the precedent we have of protecting the unborn. And we can't live in a country where you're simply not a human being in California and you are in Texas. That's not sustainable. It didn't work with slavery. It won't work 
with with uh, abortion because we're forced to be schizophrenic. And that's why you see the confusion on her face. Well, the other two things that I wish conservatives would keep reminding, because it seems seems, uh, you know, like like a great time to do that, is the history of Margaret Sanger and eugenics. And you say, where were who championed putting all those abortion clinics in all those minority neighborhoods? Well, that would be a lady who wanted to wipe out the black population in America. You say, well, who is that? Uh, nobody knows her name. Margaret Sanger. I mean, Hillary Clinton got the Margaret Sanger Award. Remind them of that history and say, are you still interested in wiping out groups of people because of their skin color? Because that's what Margaret Sanger wanted to do. And today, many of the abortion clinics and a, uh, I think a proportionate majority of the abortions are done on black women. So is your is your cause to get rid of black black American babies before they're born? I mean, that's that's I mean, abortion's ugly enough on its own. But when you start doing it and saying we're going to wipe out all the Down syndrome kids, we're going to wipe out any kid that isn't picture perfect, you know, and 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 we want you to use this tool to do it. Uh, I, I can't imagine the average American saying, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And this is what's horrible to see these terrible Republicans botching this um, because it, it's it's just there for the taking. And, you know, if you are pro-eugenics, which many people are, they just won't say it out loud. But if you're pro-eugenics, abortion is the greatest thing in the world. Um, and, and I don't understand why you can't ask people, you know, look, black Americans make up 13 percent of the population and 43 percent of all abortions. Yep. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, yeah, the other and, thing, Sean, that's a little softer is this. Everybody wants to say, well, it's for incest, rape, and to save the life of the mother. And the best numbers out of Florida say that's 2 or 3%. What about the other 97? What's the great excuse there? And I always tell people it's convenience. That's the justification. And you say, what do you mean convenience? I said, well, some young lady says, yeah, I'm pregnant by my last boyfriend, but now I'm with a new guy, and the baby ain't going over too good with a new boyfriend. Or uh, I got pregnant, uh, you know, uh, by somebody other than the man I'm married to, and that's not convenient. Or I'm about to start school or a new job, and the baby at this point would be inconvenient. I said, how far are we going to go to let people, you know, terminate a human life because of their own personal convenience and they say no it's more than that it's rape incest and save the life of the mother you say that's two to three percent what about the other 97 sean carney is the ceo and president of 40 days for life we'll be back in a moment i'll get to your calls at 866 hey lars that's 866-439-5277 you're listening to the lars larson show and the radio northwest network you're listening to the best of the lars larson show On the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. 
So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google. Yeah, he's everywhere. The Lars Larson Podcast. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. This whole transgender nonsense, it's actually put people in a really a weird spot. Now, let me give you this example out of Sherman, Texas. They, of course, have a high school, and they have high school plays. And they're putting on the play Oklahoma. And then they decided... Well, we're not going to have people play characters in a play unless the character is, say, female and you were born female, or male and you were born male. And they reversed themselves and said, no, we're not going to allow that. And now they have reversed themselves once again. They got a bunch of pressure from the community, and now they're going to let people of any gender play characters of any gender and you can wonder how that's going to work out. In any case, glad to have you with me. This segment of the show brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles. You pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. And our Twitter poll today, should Oregon make teacher strikes illegal as they already are in Washington State? I've always thought that was an advantage even when the school boards decide not to enforce the law. The law says the teachers can't go on strike. So now a group of Republican lawmakers in Oregon have proposed that the law be changed and that the teachers unions are limited in walking off the job on school days. A lot of other states, including Washington State, have similar laws, but as I said, they're not always enforced. To your calls at 866-HEY-LARS and our Twitter poll found at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Let's go first to Jack. Hey, Jack, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, great to talk to you. Yeah, I was up at, um, I'll hear a week or so ago, I was up at the OSBA, Oregon School Board Conference, and I was talking to a retired senator, Democrat senator, and I asked him about this um boys and girls sports. It really doesn't settle with me. I ask him, okay, what happens when your daughter goes to the volleyball practice and takes a shower, half of the football team decides they're going to be girls that day and go and take a shower with you, with her daughter. What are you going to do? He said, well, he said, I guess she learned more that afternoon than she did when she went to school. That's rude. Uh, why would you it's even... A... It's... <laughs> I'd be down at the school trying to tear somebody's head off. Yeah, and in fact, that's what's happened to a number of parents who've shown up at school board meetings and have said, this isn't right. You're not, you have no regard for our, chi our child's privacy, and that's wrong. Yeah. And Jack, let me throw yeah. another consideration in, and that is Massachusetts is now considering adopting some additional protections for female athletes. And why? Because there was a young lady playing soccer 
and there was a transgender girl, meaning a biological boy who was playing soccer, who managed to either kick or throw the ball hard enough that she suffered serious damage to her face, to her teeth. In other words, it, it was dangerous because a boy can generally kick the ball a whole lot harder uh, and more powerfully than a girl. And, and they are now talking about adopting special physical protections. Imagine when that becomes an issue, that if you're going to have sports in which you have biological boys pretending to be girls playing against females, that what happens to the injury rate of females? It's not going to be negative for the boys, but it, but it may well be negative for the girls. Uh, and, and those are serious issues that the system seems unwilling to even talk about. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm on the, I'm on the school board that's down here, Greece Park. That's why I have to go to it. Anyway, I was talking to one of the gals, you know, and I told her, I said, when you put these boys in track, swimming, whatever, and I said, if you have a daughter and he beats your daughter, I said, so you got two kids that go to state out of district. I said, so you run one boy. So you knock them all out. I said, your daughter never going to have her name up on, the, up on the, the plaque at school as a state champion. They're not going to know that. She may I lose out so. on a scholarship as well, yeah, which, which is, is not just a trophy, but that's, that may, be for, that may be affect the, your career plans and everything else. You know, it's rooted. It's rooted. These, these girl, boys, and boys in the bathroom, boys and girls sports and tampon machines are rooted into me so deep. She said, well, can you compromise, Jack? I says, no, I can't compromise. She said, well, I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree. I said, whatever. So I caught the head guy that's supposed to go to the Senate and argue these cases. And, yeah, I, I'm just, I, yeah, I, my hand, I'm just, yeah, I can't I, shake it. No, and Jack, maybe, do you think you could talk to your school board into saying, let's agree? We don't have any biological boys competing against girls in the Reed Sports School District. Do you think you See, could get I, your fellow board members to join you? Oh yeah, they would. But now you now you have the the, the government getting in your way. The state and the That's what I want to do. Tell the tell well, the state the to pound sand and say who makes these decisions: the local community or some bureaucrat in Salem? Yeah, it's the bureaucrats that got us by the neck. No, no, they, boys. No. If, if what I look at is if, if they want to do this. If, the, if this country wants to make make it uh, have a girls, boys, and then if you're not sure what you are, and they I mean, won't go that. But Jack, Jack, you know, you know the other way to send a message to them, Jack, put together yeah. a girls volleyball team in Reedsport that is made up entirely of biological boys. Take all the kids who couldn't make the basketball team or the football team and put them on a girls volleyball team and see how fast they start cleaning up. And when everybody starts complaining, well, the girls are losing because they're playing against people who are physically bigger than them, say, too bad. That's the woke stuff you chose. You're listening to the best of the Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated. 
but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.